0: where I chat with Navy veteran and coffee entrepreneur, Mike McKim, founder of Cuvée Coffee, a nationally recognized Austin-based coffee brand known for roasting exceptional, ethically sourced, sustainable coffee. Cuvée is made up of a roastery and distribution arm, including online and retail, as well as a vibrant and down-to-earth cafe and retail space, serving up specialty coffees, teas, and more. I love coffee, and I enjoy spending my free time at local coffee shops, Reading, writing, and drawing. So when I came across Cuvee on LinkedIn, I knew I had to get Mike on the show. Mike's entrepreneur journey has lasted over 25 years. So he's seen the good, the bad, and the ugly of keeping the dream alive. On the show, we talk about the origins of Cuvee and what led to his love of coffee, the ups and downs of his journey over the last 25 years, and some of the misconceptions people have about being an entrepreneur. Mike brings a wealth of knowledge and experience. So make sure you've got some pen and paper out. To take some notes. Before we get into today's show, I need you to go ahead and subscribe to the Transition Newsletter at the link in the show notes. If there's a topic you'd like me to cover on the show or in the newsletter, shoot me an email at mike.steadman at bunkerlabs.org or message me directly on LinkedIn at Iron Mike Stedman. I'd also greatly appreciate it if you purchase a copy of my first book, Black Veteran Entrepreneur, Validate Your Business Model, Build Your Brand, and Step into Greatness, available on Amazon. This episode of The Transition is brought to you by MetLife Foundation and their commitment to supporting veteran and military spouse entrepreneurs. In addition, MetLife Foundation also provides mentorship, financial health resources to veterans and military spouses transitioning into the workforce. As always, I hope you enjoyed today's show and that accelerates you on your own entrepreneurial journey. Mike, welcome back to the bunker. I just found out that Mike (laughs) is a Bunker Labs OG. From the original CEO circle,
1: what year was that? Oh, man, that was, I think the first, the pilot was like three, maybe even four years ago.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: it's been a while.
0: Well, I appreciate you jumping on the platform with me. I hunted Mike down on LinkedIn. I saw Cuvée being voted as one of America's, I think, 25 best coffee shops, if I'm not mistaken. Correct, yeah. And then I, I started scrolling, right. and then I saw, oh, my God, U.S. Navy vet. I was like, we got to get you on the platform. One, I haven't had a coffee person on here. And I'm gonna take off my armor for y'all. I I'm a I'm an autodidact, so I'm always learning. I think deep down I want to have a coffee shop. That's another little crazy business idea, but I actually don't want to manage it. <laughs> but so I'm watching them. I love hanging out with them on the weekends, at them on the weekends. I'm actually listening to a couple audio books about it. So I'm excited to do a deep dive with you because. You know, I think coffee shops are just a great space about community. You know, there's just some positive vibes that's there. And so for you coming up in the space, I know it ain't all sunshine and rainbows. Excited to hear your story
1: and dive deep into, you know, your entrepreneurial journey. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree with you. Coffee shops are definitely, I mean, that's kind of why they were invented. It was to be a, a community space for people to gather and discuss and talk. Yeah, so I'm with you 100%.
0: So for those of our listeners that aren't familiar with you, Mike, please take a moment, introduce yourself and Cuvée.
1: <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks again for having me on, Mike. It's a real, real pleasure. My name is Mike McKim. I'm the founder and CEO of Cuvée Coffee. As Mike said, you know, Navy vet, I joined, I enlisted in the Navy right out of high school and, you know, somehow found my way into entrepreneurship, stumbled into it. I didn't grow up with the idea of wanting to be an entrepreneur, or dreaming about being an entrepreneur, but At some point, kind of turned that corner. What year did you decide to make that turn? It was 1998 when I got introduced to coffee roasting. And how did that happen? A high school buddy of mine named Patrick, we we worked for his dad. We were in the telecom industry. We were selling fiber optic cable. It was a great, great industry to be in during the whole dot-com boom, you know, when all these companies were up and coming, all these tech companies, and everybody was laying fiber optic cable in the ground. We went on a skiing trip with our wives and I said that we went to to Tahoe and I said, hey man, I've got an uncle who's in Reno. You know, he owns a business, really cool guy, drives a Ferrari, you know, super successful. Let's go visit him. And we, you know, we had kicked around the idea of starting our own business. Didn't know what it was going to be. So we went to visit my uncle, Carl. And you know, through a series of events, he said, hey, man, have you guys ever seen coffee being roasted before? And we were like, no. And he had a little coffee roaster set up in the corner of his warehouse. And he, was, he's a, he makes food analyzation equipment. So he was creating some sort of analyzer for coffee. But in order to roast the coffee, he bought a coffee roaster, set it up. So we roasted some coffee with him. And both of us were like, oh, man, this is amazing. And we just totally got hooked. I always tell people it's like every brewery owner you've ever met, you know, they start brewing beer in their basement or garage and, you know, drinking it with their friends and family. And then one day they're like, hey, we should open a brewery. And that's what it was like for coffee for me.
0: What year did you actually open the shop? Because I see on your LinkedIn, you know, Cuvée has been around for like 25 years. But I think I read that the shop actually opened in 2014.
1: Yes. Yeah. So we've always we started as a coffee roaster, which we still are. And that was in 1998. So we bought my uncle's coffee roaster, took it back to Dallas with us, set it up in my buddy's dad's garage, and we would roast coffee on the weekends. And you know, we would sell it to friends and family and stuff like that. And then built the business, really selling wholesale to independent coffee houses around Texas mostly. And we were, you know, we were really lucky because specialty coffee which is the industry we're in like premium coffee high end coffee they call it specialty coffee or craft coffee whatever it didn't really exist in Texas in 1998 so we were kind of pioneering that which you know it sounds sexy and exciting but we all know that pioneers get all the arrows and settlers get all the land yeah we you know we we just roasted coffee and then the whole dot com implosion happened in 2001 I lost my job. Patrick lost his job. And I said, you know what? I don't really like the telecom industry anyway, so I'm going to keep going with coffee. And Patrick said, well, you know, I like keeping food on the table for my family, so I'm going to get another job in the telecom industry. And then somewhere along the line, you know, we just, we decided, my wife and I said, you know what? You know, we're selling coffee to all these coffee shops. But nobody's doing anything particularly interesting. Nobody's trying anything different. So why don't we open our own coffee shop so that we can try stuff, you know, create our own little test kitchen. And that was in 2014. That was our first coffee shop we opened.
0: During this entire time while you're roasting coffee, though, so you are working a full time
1: job. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So in 2001, I spent, I decided I was going to go full time into coffee. And You know, thank goodness my wife is very understanding and patient because we had a new baby. And I was out, you know, trying to pound the pavement and find people to buy coffee from me. I was in Houston, Texas at the time. I was incredibly unsuccessful at it. And so about 10 months into, you know, chasing this dream, my wife said, hey, when I put Connor to bed tonight, we need to sit down and talk. And I said, okay. We sit down at the kitchen table after she puts Connor to bed and she says, we have enough money to pay bills one more month and we're broke. So, you know, new baby, mortgage, all that sort of stuff, you know, and here I am with no income for 10 months. So through a series of events, I stumbled into a coffee shop in Houston and one of the guys that was working as a barista said, hey, I'm I'm leaving here. I'm opening my own coffee shop and I want this espresso machine that they have here. You know, can you get it for me? I said, yeah, of course I can get it for you. And then I left him. was like, oh shit, how am I going to get this espresso machine for this guy? So I called the manufacturer of the espresso machine, La Marzocco, and talked to a guy named Joe Monahan, and who I'd been introduced to through my uncle at one point. And I said to Joe, hey man, can I buy an espresso machine from you? He said, yeah, no sweat. He goes, do me a favor. Don't call me anymore. We're hiring a regional manager. She's based in Atlanta. That's who you work with. I'll get her contact info to you. And I said, Joe, have you hired her yet? And he said, no, why? I said, I haven't had a paycheck in 10 months. I don't care what the job pays. I'll take it. <laughs> and he just kind of laughed uncomfortably and hung up. And, and then I proceeded to call him every day, every business day for the next 14 days and said, hey, Joe, it's Mike. You know, 8 a.m. Seattle time. Hey, Joe, it's Mike. I'm ready to start that job. And, you know, I finally warmed down. He hired me and I spent five years from two thousand one to two thousand six selling espresso machines and then roasting coffee, you know, on the weekends turned into nights weekends. And then the coffee business grew. I got to the point where I wasn't really doing either job that well. So I quit selling espresso machines, went full time into roasting in two thousand six.
0: The reason I asked you to share that is I don't think people really understand what it's like to step out on that vine, you know? And I think we romanticize it on you know, Forbes magazine and social media and stuff, but it's a different beast when you, you know, are relying upon your business to pay your salary. It's not all as gla- nearly as glamorous as people think it is. And depending on what business you start with, it can be extremely hard. Like you got to sell a lot of coffee to pay yourself, you know, even $2,000 a month, right? Yeah. After all the expenses and everything. And so, you know, when they say that 10 year overnight success, that 20 year you know, they're not just blowing smoke and mirrors, right? It's like, yeah. it's, it's real. Yeah. And so I'm excited to get some more into that, get into that some more. Now, Mike, one of the things I told you that we do on this show is we get vulnerable, right? We like to take off our armor. Um, I'm in the process. I'll go first. You know, I'm in the process of launching a new business called Flawless Acceleration. We just pulled the trigger. And I'm not going to lie. You know, I was a little nervous about it at first because I know going to market is never as easy as people think it is. You know, people ask me all the time, like, Mike, what is, the, what is it you do? And I have trouble answering that question because I yeah. feel like I do a lot. It's all very entrepreneurial. But I think I do think I have like a method to the madness these days, because as a bootstrap entrepreneur, I built profit centers for myself and my different businesses. And so it's all kind of intertwined. But I know for some people, it can come across as like a little confusing. But like, I've, yeah. I've been doing this a minute. You know, I know how to stay alive. So that's where I'm getting vulnerable. I'm excited about this new business we're launching. What about you?
1: Oh, gosh, you know what? There's so many challenges. Well, I'm, you know, I barely got out of high school. I'm a college dropout. So I don't have an MBA or any formal training in business. So everything that I've done from starting to, you know, now we're scaling the business is all brand new to me. And they're all completely different skill sets. So I think... If I'm being real, the, the thing that I learn on a daily basis is where my shortcomings are because nobody can do everything well. It just doesn't happen, especially in business. You know, so identifying my blind spots and, you know, trying to limp my way through them until I can get somebody in place who can fill those blind spots is, you know, it's humbling and it's challenging all at the same time.
0: So even after over 20 years in business, you, feel, you still feel like you're white-knuckling it a bit? Oh, 100%, man. Absolutely,
1: without a doubt. Yeah, there are days that I that's an underlying
0: go theme. I yeah. think that's what it is, right? I think yeah. we all think that people got it all figured out, you know, that their business is a well-oiled machine. But when you start actually talking to actuals, because, you know, in the Marine Corps, we got this term, actuals, actuals to actuals. You start talking okay. to you're like, man, I'm, I'm trying to make it just like you. I'm figuring yeah. it out. Because stuff is constantly changing too, right? Like you're growing. You're not where you were, you know, even four years ago. You're in a different space. And so that has its tension as you're kind of, you know, letting go of the past and moving towards the future.
1: Oh, there's no doubt. And even, I mean, even my friends, the, the, all they see is they see our blue bags on the grocery store shelf and they think, oh man, you're killing it. They have no idea that, the, the teeny tiny amount of profit we make on every little bag on the grocery store shelf, you know, is, it's almost negligible, you know, unless people are buying lots of volume, it's hard. We got to sell to a distributor who gets their markup, who sells to the retailer, who gets their markup, who sells to the consumer, who, you know, and it's just, it's on the outside, it looks like everything is just blowing up, you know, but you know, it's that old duck on the water. Looks calm on the top, but down below the water, you know, you're pedaling like crazy.
0: So I'm very, my first business is a free boxing gym in Newark called the Ironbound Boxing Academy. And I'm super okay. passionate about boxing. But I'd be remiss, about two years in, three years in, I was in the grind, you know, like really, <laughs> really in the grind. And all of a sudden, your passion becomes your like devil, right? Cause you're just, it's just a different experience, right? When it becomes your job, how has it been for you over the last 20 years from like having this passion? Oh man, I freaking love coffee to running the brick and mortar, you know, distributing coffee around town, you know, managing with cash flow and all this other stuff, you know?
1: Yeah. It's well, I mean, you hit the nail on the head, man. It's a constant challenge. I think passion for me, you know, it was the gas in the tank that kept me going you know, in those first 10 years, selling coffee sucked. I mean, it was brutal, brutal. I was making no money, barely getting by. So, you know, that passion kept me fueled. But then all of a sudden, you start hiring employees and, you know, passion isn't enough. You got to, you know, you're responsible for people who have families and who have lives and who have bills and all that sort of stuff. That changes things. And then, you know, while I still really love coffee, My passion has definitely shifted to, you know, growing the business versus just the actual product, you know, and I think for me personally, you know, being able to, like, I just trained a girl who came to work for us. She's been working in production for a while. And this month, I'm sorry, last month, I just started training her how to roast coffee and watching the level of excitement that she has and the passion that she's developing for coffee it it even though i may not have that same passion for coffee that i used to it shifted to something else when i see that you know in somebody who i'm working with it's really super rewarding
0: yeah 100% i uh, and i still have that passion now because like i'm still an outsider right like i go to my little coffee shop I get my mocha latte, but I still have to ask like, what is Americano? Cause there's all this different stuff that like, I don't know. So I feel like I'm in that phase where my passion for coffee consumption is growing and grinding. I've been drinking it for years, but I've just been, I was a Marine grunt, you know, black with cream,
1: (laughs) you know, maybe that's about it. Yep. Yeah. It's funny. I think, I think when you're learning, about something, you know, especially something that's intricate, like coffee, or you're learning about, you know, whiskey or beer or what, boxing. I mean, whatever it is, when you're learning about it, I think that helps fuel passion. And then at some point, obviously, you never know everything, but at some point, you stop learning as much as you know. Your learn your learning curve is exponential, and I think that kind of creates, at least for me, creates a lot of passion. And then when you get to the point where you're not learning as much you got to find something else to be passionate about.
0: How much difficult has it been running the brick and mortar than just
1: roasting? Oh, man, the two totally different animals. You know. So we've got a roasting facility, and then a couple miles down the road, we've got a cold brew facility where we do all our nitro cold brew. And then we've got two coffee bars now. And all, all three of those things are, I mean, they're like completely different businesses. They're different customers. Um, they're different sets of challenges. I mean, it's, it's complex.
0: Did you know how complex it was going to be before you did it? And the reason I no. said that, because we got a lot of entrepreneurs tuning in, they're like, I need, a, I need my own spot. You know, yeah. I want to open up my, my brewery or my coffee shop or yada, yada, yada. After running a gym for seven years, I'm like, listen, man, brick and mortar ain't no joke. And my yeah, gym is free. So I can only imagine yeah. what it's like running a paid operation you know, where you got to pay employees, you got to do all that other stuff. Just freaking, I just vision chaos, you know? And then yeah. also you want to travel, you want to go overseas, you want to go vacation, you better make sure those spots are running. It's not just, yeah. it's, just not, it's not automated. This isn't like a SaaS platform.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny. My wife and I just talked about that. So we're coming up on our 30th wedding anniversary in June. And we were talking about it and we were like, you know what? We didn't. We didn't take vacation. We didn't get to go anywhere for our twentieth, our twenty fifth, and it looks like we're not going to be able to go anywhere for our thirtieth either. You know, just because we're so involved in the the business, you know, all the businesses. Yeah, it's uh, it's challenging.
0: It's challenging. Why do you think so many people want to open up a coffee shop? Like, I feel like that's a thing that comes up now. Like everybody imagines having their own little community coffee
1: shop? Like, what, do you, what is it about coffee, you, you think? Well, I think just like you said when we were talking before we started, you know, when, when you go to a coffee shop and, and, you know, they do it right, they, they actually create a, a community environment. When you go there, you feel good. You know, you drink the coffee or, you know, you have a beer or tea or whatever it is and, you know, you're hanging out with friends or you're meeting new people and you're talking or you're just you know, reading a book, you know, taking time for yourself, it's, it's, it feels good. So why wouldn't you want to do that? You know, why, what you, when you look in the outside, you say, oh, this is great. It's just a coffee shop. I just buy an espresso machine and a coffee brewer and boom, then I can create a space for people. And then the other part is, you know, people, you know, they look at a company like Starbucks and they think, man, you know, I can get rich selling coffee, which is definitely not true. (laughs) it's hard to get, to make money selling coffee. What's fascinating to me is that you were in the space
0: right as like the specialty coffee market really start to hit the U S right. So you were there when Starbucks went like 10 X, you know, and now you're seeing, what is it? Third wave coffee, right? The blue bottles of the world. And, you know, you see a lot more coffee shops, right? I grew up in Texas. There were never, you hardly ever saw coffee shops, right? It was like, the, you know, you would go to like maybe the, Gas station or something, right? But now it's like if you go to any metropolitan area, there's some hipster coffee shop. Let's just be honest; we love it. We pay a little five dollars. We've been conditioned for it. But you've like literally gotten to have a front row seat. Yeah. And I'm curious to know, like, when you launched your shop in 2014, right? There were already a bunch of shops out there. Like, it's already people had already been conditioned. So, how did you position Cuvee? amongst all these other shops in your area? Because yes. the reason I ask this is there's a lot of vets. They want to open a brewery. They want to open a coffee shop. They want to do these things, but it's like, these are crowded spaces. So how are you differentiating yourself?
1: Yeah, that's, that's the big challenge, All right, It's a, it's a noisy space for sure. I was fortunate because we had been roasting coffee for so long. And, you know, you mentioned the the you know the propagation of third wave coffee houses so the first third wave coffee shop in Texas opened up in Austin and they chose our coffee right so then all these other third wave coffee shops that started opening you know they were like oh well, sh- we got to use Kube cuz you know that's what that's what those guys use so we actually and this was not by design because I didn't even know what a brand was when I started roasting coffee, but we built a brand, a recognizable brand. So by the time we opened our coffee shop, people already knew who Kuve was. You know, We were on the shelf at Whole Foods and HEB and Central Market and all that sort of stuff. So that, that was a benefit for us. So there was a little bit of excitement for people because they were familiar with the Kuve brand. And then we picked a part of town, we picked East Austin, which when we picked it, you know, it, it looks way different now than it did in 2014. In 2014, when we opened up our, our space, it was, I mean, the only reason to come down that far on 6th Street in East Austin was to come to our coffee shop. It was a pretty sketchy area still. Um, so it was a destination, which made it, you know, cool. Now, you know, our, that space on East Six is surrounded by condos, And I mean, there's like literally six coffee shops within a couple blocks of us now. It's just, it's it's a crowded space, man. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You got to go to battle every day. (laughs) Yes. Got to go to battle every day. And you know what? People out on the hunt, they're looking for coffee, man. And you know what's crazy, Mike? Even with all these coffee shops, the line at Starbucks is still around the corner.
1: Oh, yeah. Yep. You want to talk about the power of a brand. Yeah. Yeah.
0: A hundred percent. I'm just like. And people wait like you see them in the at the airports and everything like people want their coffee, and similar yeah. to how you said, you got the section where there's like six coffee shops on my street alone there's four there's one yeah. in my basement there's well, there's actually five I take that back, two across the street I mean it is a really crowded space, but again, you've been alive for twenty twenty five years at this point, you know, maybe not as long as with the actual shop, but I mean this ain't your first rodeo now, one of the things I am curious about. You know, for a lot of veterans, they think that in order to start their business, they need to raise capital. Okay. And, you know, it's very confusing now because you see Shark Tank, people want to start. They really need a small business, but they think that they need to start a startup and go out and raise this outside capital. How have you navigated the capital aspect of Cuvée over the last 20 20 plus years, both from the roastery as well as the actual physical location?
1: Yeah. We, when Rochelle, my wife, and I, when we built the business originally, we bootstrapped it, so we didn't raise any money, we didn't take any loans, we just grew slow and steady, you know, which has its pluses and minuses. And then, you know, talk about taking off the armor in in twenty seventeen when we decided we wanted to try and scale the business, we took on a minority investor, and you know. Our partners were, you know, CEO, one of them was a CEO of two different Fortune 100 companies uh, in the beverage industry. And, you know, we thought, oh, man, this is amazing. You know, we're going to learn so much and, you know, he's going to help us grow this business and all. And it's been a total disaster, total disaster. We're actually divorcing our partners right now and working on buying them out.
0: Why do you think that? Why do you think that
1: is? Uh, that it was a disaster. Yeah. Yeah, well, I uh, <laughs> You don't have to go
0: into the specifics, but I think it's important for our listeners to know that one, be careful who you get in bed with, literally yep. and fizi- fig- figuratively. Particularly <laughs> when you're inviting people into your home, when your business and everything. And I do think again, people think that because people got corporate backgrounds and pedigrees and all this other stuff, Somehow they're these, these gurus and that they're going to figure it out. But then it yep. gets back to who? The entrepreneur in the shop or on a yep. laptop with a Google
1: Doc, you know, writing fiction. Yeah. Yeah, I would say the the biggest mistake that I made was, you know, every time there was a red flag and I would bring it to our partner's attention, I would get the, hey, Mike, just trust me and i had more confidence in him than i did in myself even though i, I man i could see down the road and be like man we're not he- this is, this doesn't make sense we're not heading the right direction but then i'm once again i'm like dude you know this guy was you know he's he went to harvard and he's an mba and you know he was a ceo of these companies you know i'm a knuckle dragger what you know what do i know so yeah That was my biggest mistake, but we're, we're, we finally put our foot down and said, we're done with you. We don't want you anymore. So let's figure this out.
0: I think it's one of those things too, of like guys like us, we can feel when stuff is not right. Right. Because we've been doing it for so long. Right. So for us, it's almost like, I like to use a sports analogy, right? When you're in the field, when you're in the game, all right, you know, you feel confident shooting a shot. You're not overthinking it. You're just going off of instinct, right? Because that's a pattern recognition that's been built up over time through your experience, through your expertise, through everything, et cetera. You start bringing outsiders in, they don't necessarily have that. And I also think sometimes we're so quick to hand it off, but it's just one of those things you don't know what you don't know. And it sounds like even with your experience with the investor not working out, sometimes that's just the cost of doing business, right? These are those hard lessons that you'll never learn inside a classroom you just actually have to learn from going through it.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've got an MBA now, that's for sure. <laughs> it was not a comfortable one, but <laughs> I've got it now.
0: That, that, we call that the hustler's MBA. I got one, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, okay, so you're dealing with that, right? It's absolute disaster. Lesson learned. Talk to us about the plans to actually scale the business because, you know, again, this is not some software. When people hear scale, they're probably thinking about, oh, man, you're trying to take cuvee all across the country. Or are you starting to go strategically, like regionally, Austin, there may maybe some other cities in Texas, et cetera?
1: Yeah. So the, the play is definitely Texas is our focus. I mean, we, it's one of the mistakes that we made was when we took on our partners, you know, they basically took a, more of a shotgun approach. And, you know, we started selling coffee to different grocery stores in, you know, the Pacific Northwest and North and South California and Colorado and all these places where people don't know cuvee. We have zero brand power. And unfortunately, what I learned is it's one thing to get on the shelf in the grocery store. It's a totally different animal to stay there. In order to stay there, you got to sell product. You got to create velocity. So your product moves. And it takes money to do that. And if if you don't have or are unwilling to put that money behind it, it's the chances are really, really good it's not going to be successful. So Cause you gotta drive traffic. You gotta, you know, absolutely what makes somebody actually
0: wanna go to the store and grab it off the shelf amongst right. all that crowded coffee. Cause even for me, right, like if I'm gonna go buy coffee, 99% of the time it's probably gonna be a local brand or something.
1: Right. Just here. Yep. Yep. That's exactly right, yeah, and so, you know, in Seattle, Washington, we're not a local brand, and there's a lot of great coffee on the grocery store shelf in Seattle, right? So, yeah, driving trial, you know, that's where marketing comes in, and, you know, that's a whole nother skill set, and it ain't cheap, that's for sure.
0: During this coffee boom, like I said, we call it the third wave and all that stuff, how did you keep your eyes on your own paper? Because I think it would be, you know, the comparison trap is always a thing for us as entrepreneurs. Let's be honest, right? And so you're Uh seeing all these other brands take off. Did you ever find yourself like, damn, what we got to do to get Cuvée right? That could be us. You know, I've been doing this longer than while they were still in diapers, et cetera. But yet, I'm going to stay focused. You know, got to stay focused. Got to stay focused.
1: Yep. It's... It's definitely challenging. So I think throughout the course of my career, I've gone through a number of progressions. And, and one of them, when I talk to young entrepreneurs, one of the things I always talk about is, I use a term, I, I, I call it coffee famous, right? And so when you're in a small industry like specialty coffee, even though coffee is a giant industry, the specialty coffee industry is actually a very small one. Everybody knows everybody. It's very easy to, you know, f- through different activities and volunteerism and things like that, it's, it's easy to get quote unquote famous, right? Where your peers know who you are and they know your name. And while that is rewarding and fuels your ego, it doesn't pay the bills. And, and then you start worrying about, I started worrying about making decisions based on what my peers would think. Right. So instead of making a decision what was best for my business, I would make a decision to protect my coffee fame. And then finally, I realized this is making me no money. And the only people I'm trying to impress are people who don't buy coffee from me. Right. They're my competitors and they probably want to see me fail. So I went through that, you know, and that old saying, there are those, you know, who have been humbled and those who will be. I definitely got humbled a few times, which is great. I think that's super important for every entrepreneur. And then, yeah, jealousy, man. You know, when I look at other companies and I'm like, man, our coffee is just as good as theirs or maybe even better than theirs. Why are they so successful? Why are they growing? And I'm not. Yeah, it's, it's, it can be very challenging. The, the shift for me was at one point I made a decision. So I got really burnt out in the coffee industry. I just got completely burnt out. And I, I just really walked away from the coffee industry itself and I was really deeply involved in it for a long time and had a lot and still have a lot of friends in there, but I walked away from it and I made a list of entrepreneurs and brands that I really admired and I spent a year and I just called people and said, Hey, this is who I am. This is my company you know i'm reaching out to you because you know i admire your brand for these reasons or whatever i'm wondering if i could buy you a cup of coffee or a beer and sit down and just ask you like 3 to 5 questions and i went all over the us and talked to people i, I, was, I was super into craft beer at the time so i was reaching out to brewery owners i went up to to dogfish head up in delaware and sat down and talked with sam and really once i once i removed myself from coffee and stopped looking at other coffee companies and drawing my inspiration from different industries i came back after that year and i was completely rekindled you know and i was passionate again and you know instead of feeling like i was dragging an anchor through the mud you know i felt like i was you know running on pavement again which was great so but i, I yeah Oh, I was going to say, I'm not sure if that answered the question. I kind of rambled a little bit. <laughs> no, you didn't. It was great, you
0: know. And also giving yourself some grace, right? Like, let's be honest, when you got out, you know, it wasn't the same world we have today. You know, there's a lot yeah. more information available. We got podcasts, we got audio books. You know, especially coffee was literally a new industry altogether, yeah. right? Yeah. So you guys were literally, you might as well have been in in space doing stuff in space right. at the time, right? So <laughs> I would just say, give yourself some some grace on that. And I will tell you this, right? I I interview a lot of entrepreneurs on this podcast. I'm a business coach. I'm a brand guy. If I ever do anything in coffee, you know who I'm calling? I'm calling you. (laughs) You have forgotten more stuff in the coffee industry than I can learn, you know, at this point. Right. And that's not, that's not a small, that's not a small thing to have. I mean, 20 plus years in coffee. My God, Mike, that's amazing.
1: Yeah it's it is interesting and it's funny because one of my favorite things is working with coffee shop entrepreneurs and i don't get to do it as much as i used to but when i do get the chance and i don't want to say that i mentor them because i i i try not to ever give unsolicited advice to people especially when they're you know starting their own business cuz every business is different but when somebody asks it's funny because i do A lot of times I'll walk away from a meeting and be like, damn, you know, that's something that I haven't thought of in 10 years, you know, something that I learned, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. So yeah, that old saying that, you know, I've forgotten more than, you know, than whatever is very accurate. (laughs) You talked about brands that you
0: admire and look up to. Can you share with us outside of just Dogfish Head, who are some other brands?
1: Yeah, probably the, man, I really lucked out on this one. Probably the most profound meeting I had was with a guy named Roy, who started a company called Yeti Coolers. And uh, literally, I just made a cold call. And this is when Yeti was you know, just a $10 million company. I made a cold call, got through to Roy. Roy says, what's the name of your company? I said, Cuvée Coffee. He goes, oh, shit, man, my wife buys your coffee. We have it in our you know, cupboard at home. Let's go have lunch. And I got to spend time with Roy. I was very respectful of his time. Like I always sent him a list of questions ahead of time and then went to his office and sat down and t- talked with him. But that was probably that was probably the one relationship that I had that really righted the ship for me. Why is that just you know, just being able to talk to him. So Yeti, number one, I love the brand, right? And one of my first questions to Roy was, look, I don't mean any offense by this. You make a cooler, a really expensive cooler. How is it a lifestyle brand? You know, how is it that people are wearing hats and putting stickers on their cars and things like that? You know, when you can take, and, and it's a cooler, right? I mean, what, what he did literally changed an industry that had been stagnant forever, we'd still be buying, you know, crappy coolers where the latches fall apart after a year, and you know all that sort of stuff. So I, I think just the fact that he changed an industry, you know, he he was such a nice guy and so humble, and and then the fact that he was taking time, you know, you know, I was a two million dollar company at the time, and he was a ten. So I wanted to get where he was. So I think that's you know. I I think working with him, learning from him, he helped me, he helped me believe that, you know, building a $10 million company was actually doable. And before that point, you know, $10 million seemed like unattainable.
0: Yeah. So important to surround yourself with these type of people, you know, because it shows you what's possible. And sometimes just even seeing it, you know what I mean? Just getting a little taste of it. You know, you can pour jet fuel on your own business and more importantly your mind because i've been there before i remember i jumped on right when i started ironbound media mike i had i was looking i was working on my systems and processes and i found yep. this guy on youtube that helped people with systems and processes and everything because he was showing how he did his podcast process i jumped on a call with him and i asked him how much you charge he was like twenty five thousand dollars, and i was like what <laughs> you know i was like there's a lot of money to charge man You fast forward two years later, I'm charging the same thing, you know. But again, just seeing that that there are people out there that do this kind of work, people that don't write proposals, people that don't do all the kind of stuff that we think we have to do, is just super amazing to me. And so I always go out of my way to put myself in those groups or jump on calls, similarly you, or invite people on my podcast just to learn
1: and grow from one another. Yeah. Well, I think there's that, and then the other part is I. I, after talking to all these, you know, entrepreneurs who were really generous with their time, I almost, not almost, I, I feel like and felt like it was kind of my responsibility. So as our brand grew, there were people out there who were starting coffee companies, and they would do the same thing. They would call me and say, "Hey, you know, could we get together and have a cup of coffee? You know, I'd love to hear your story or ask you questions or whatever." And man. I really go out of my way to make time for people because so many people made time for me. I feel like it's kind of my responsibility to pay it forward, you know?
0: Well, you've made time for us today. And one of the things I want to ask you is, you know, we got, I want a couple of things. What's your BHAG for Cuvée? So you keep saying scale, but ultimately what are you working towards long, long-term?
1: You know, f- I think my wife said to me one time, you know, about the business, she was like, you know, you're not happy unless we're growing. So, you know, for me, the way that my mind works is I'll, I'll come up with an idea and then I'll get that idea started. But one of my problems is once I get about 75% into that idea, I'm already moving on to the next idea, which you know, when you're a small family owned business doesn't work because there's nobody up there. There's nobody to pick up the ball and run with it. That last 25%. So, I mean, to answer your question, you know, growing that, that definitely, you know, that, that fuels me right now thinking about growth for sure.
0: And in terms of BHAG though, like when the battle's won, Cuve's flag is up there. What does it look like? Is it all across the country? Is it all across Austin? You know, are you changing lives through coffee? Talk to us.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, I mean, obviously that measuring goals and revenue is easy, right? That's a, that's a number that you can throw up on the wall and look at on a daily basis. So there's always that, you know, there's, there's growing from 2 million to 5 million to 10 million to, you know, whatever, whatever those next numbers are. I think the other one that's really cool, it's painful and cool at the same time, is I really, I really like hiring great people. And if they want to learn and develop because they have their own entrepreneurial goals, I really like being able to help somebody go from working here to opening their own business. It kind of sucks because you know I've had several employees who have opened businesses that directly compete with me. But at the same time, man, I mean, I like I knew that going into it that that was a possibility, and I'm still happy for them and proud of them, you know, for starting their own business and getting up and running, even though we're competitors now.
0: That's great. That's that abundance mindset, and it's got to be that's your legacy too, knowing that you can incubate talent in house and help them grow out and accomplish their goals and dreams. And that's what I always say for business owners. It's more than just the monetary return. It's nice. Don't get me wrong. We need to pay ourselves and we need to make sure we're, we're, we're good. But at the same time, right, if that's all we focus on, that's not going to be the impact. That's not going to be as fulfilling and as nourishing for us. And I yeah. see it all the time. Entrepreneurs out there chasing the money, chasing the money. They're just not happy.
1: I've, I've, I've been through that cycle, too. You know, When you're focused on the money, yeah, it, it, it just doesn't work you make decisions based on money and sometimes you make wrong decisions because of it. But yeah, I think, you know what, you just answered the question better than I did. I think the legacy, like I, for me, the biggest win would be, you know, somewhere down the road, you know, 15, 20 years from now, somebody saying, man, you know, there's this dude, Mike McKim, you know, who introduced me to coffee and helped me, you know, Start this business that now I'm passing on to my kids, or you know, you know, I've grown to. what I think the legacy part of things is probably. That's a great, that's a great way to put it. to Sum it up.
0: Well, Mike, you are gracious with your time because you made time for us on a Monday, you know, afternoon, and yeah, everybody know Monday can get a little crazy. I got on my calendar <laughs> bottleneck Mondays, but in all seriousness, <laughs> yeah. man, it's been great to have you on. It's great to have you in the ecosystem. You've got veteran entrepreneurs and military spouses tuning in from all over the country, all over the world. How can we help you create that legacy for yourself and Cuvée? Whatever it is you need, just feel free to put out that ask.
1: Oh, gosh, man. That's a, you know, hey, look, if if you're looking for a place to buy coffee, you know, go to our website, CuvéeCoffee.com and give it a try. That always helps. And if you love it, keep buying it. And if you don't go back to buying what you were buying before, that's perfectly fine. You know, the other thing is, man, my youngest son, he, he works for me and my wife. He is the production manager at our cold brew facility. So just, you know, being able to share this podcast with him, I think is going to be valuable. And then, like I told you before, my oldest son is in flight school. He's a Marine in flight school in Pensacola right now. So I'm going to share it with him and he's going to share it with all his Marine Corps pals. and. You know, who knows, man? I'm sure some of them are, have an entrepreneurial spirit and, and, you know, this could be, this could be something that really motivates them or inspires them to one day create their own business. And so I guess the other ask would be, hey, if you like this podcast, share it, share it with yeah. as many people as you can.
0: Yeah. I also wanted to say, I think it's so amazing. You mentioned being married for 30 years. You know, I try to do my best to bring up family on here as well, because for a lot of transitioning vets, right, not everybody is going to be that startup founder sleeping on couches. You know, people have families, they have children. And so for you to be able to get to where you are, I think that's also an inspiration
1: as well. And I want to acknowledge you for that. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. And I really thank you for having me on. It's, it's, a, it's a real honor to be able to chat with you and, you know, just kind of share some of this stuff.
0: Let's make sure y'all would get out there and buy some cuvee coffee. If you find yourself down in Austin, Texas, I know next time I'm going, I'm coming to hunt. I'm coming to hunt the shop out. Uh, but in all seriousness, let's also make sure we're getting the word out and spreading this podcast so we can elevate Mike's story. And uh, for everyone that's tuning in, do me a favor and make sure you subscribe to the Transition Newsletter at the link in the show notes. If there's a topic you'd like me to cover on the show or in the newsletter, shoot me an email at mike.stedman at barkerlabs.org or message me directly on LinkedIn at Iron Mike Stedman. Until next time, everyone, peace, love, and have a great rest of your week.